we're back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we should probably explain something, but maybe not. So we did drop episode one, <laughs> season two, and then we just disappeared. But we've done a lot since then. I personally have binge watched a lot of great Netflix shows. And yeah, you know, like we're millennials. We don't have an excuse, but, you know, the nap. Bishop has told us to take hiatus and take breaks, and that's what we did. But we are back for episode two. Thank you for standing by us all this all this time. Yeah, thank you, especially to the listeners who were like, hey, when's episode two going to drop? We, we appreciate you. Thank you for listening and paying attention because of you. You know, we, we really tried to get back out and put out this episode. And I'm super excited to talk about this episode because it's a topic that it's a topic I think about a lot, and it's a topic that I go to therapy for a lot. Um, so we're excited to talk about motherhood. So I know we haven't met for a long time, Vina, but I've still been drinking the tea that you make, the tea that you've been bringing me. But let's talk a little bit about this tea. It has a very interesting taste, and I want all the listeners to hear more about it. So the tea we're tasting today is a really special tea. It's a green tea that has been... I guess essentially marinated, um, I don't know if that's the right word, but marinated in a lotus flower. And the reason why I chose this is because lotus is a national flower of Vietnam, but it also is a depiction sort of, I think, or like an emblem for like women and the expectations for women. So as you know, the lotus flower looks beautiful and pure and clean, even though it grows in mud. There's this great quote by the late Thich um, called um, no, no mud, no lotus, meaning, you know, if there's no mud in the ground, then there's no, no lotus that comes out of oh, it. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's like one of my favorite quotes. Um, but I, I chose this tea because today we're talking about motherhood. And um, I think always when we think about mothers in our society, there's this expectation that, you know, mothers have to be faultless, flawless, and just fully um, fully devoted to their families. And this is especially true in, in Vietnam. Like in Vietnam, when you think about a good woman, it's like a good woman is a good mother, a pious daughter, an obedient wife. So like all of those things. Um, and so, yeah, just thought this would be an interesting tea to talk about as we um, hear stories about the expectations about women and um, the expectations that our society has for mothers. Mm, thank you. I think this is actually one of my favorite teas that you've introduced me to, and I'm really excited to get into the stories today. Um, let's kick it off with a game. All right, I'm already nervous, but let's go ahead. <laughs> okay, so the question is, how would our moms, so each of our respective moms, rate the following things we both deeply enjoy? Okay. So the first one is going out dancing. I think steamy. I think my mom's always really appreciated my stories of going out, whether it was in college or, um, you know, when I lived in Miami. But I think also the really interesting point is some of my most revealing outfits, especially cleavage wise, are ones that I got from my mom. Oh, really? I've seen some of those outfits. I'm not sure she knew what they oh. would look like when I put them on, but... <laughs> All right. All right, Mama Young. Nice, nice. Yeah. What about you going out dancing? You know, it's interesting because like if I were to tell my mom like, oh, let's, you know, I'm going to go dancing. I think she'd be very cold about it. But at my uncle's wedding, 
my mom and I tore it up on the dance floor. We were like just having such a great time. It was my first time ever dancing with my mom. And she was getting hit on by like my one of the, like, you know, one of the invitees. And I was oh. like, Mom, that guy's trying to like dance with you. And she's like, Oh, you know, he's making me feel so uncomfortable. Uh, it was just funny to watch uh, my mom in that kind of setting because I don't think I've ever seen her like that. So I'm not sure. I think it's the idea of it is probably cold, but I think actually going out dancing, I think she'd be pretty warm on it. That's good. You know what they say? There's no dance floor unless there's a dude making you feel uncomfortable. So sounds like a classic uh, dance floor. Let's not have that um, saying continue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, next one is singing private room karaoke. And I want to specify private room karaoke because I'm not out here doing public karaoke. So I think the public karaoke is the better one. I disagree, but go it ahead. Brings people, <laughs> it brings people. It brings people. It brings people together. Private is just like I don't know you and your friends, people you already know. And I think some of my friends are also think of themselves as singers, and that it just makes karaoke not as fun. So I don't know. I live around the corner from a place with public karaoke seven nights a week, and it's a lot of fun. But in terms of my mom, wait like an hour to wait to sing. I'm not if you go there on a random Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. It's got to go on the non you know, but yeah, I think my, my mom loves singing. So I think she would be, yeah, very steamy on that. Uh, and I think she would be excited to hear my choices and probably would guess some of the songs correctly. Yeah. My mom would be very steamy on this too. I think I got my love of karaoke from my mom. I grew up listening to her for better or for worse, uh, singing karaoke. So very steamy on this. Maybe our mom should go karaoke together. Yeah, what do you think your mom's go-to karaoke song is? Um, so she was really upset because at my wedding, she really wanted to sing this song called Gai Gomea, which means like my daughter. Um, and it's like the song about this mother sending her daughter off to be married. And it was this very tragically sad song. But we didn't have a mic set up ready for singing. So I think that would be her go-to song. I've been trying to recreate that moment, but she's kind of, I think she enjoys guilt tripping me that I didn't let her have her moment at my wedding. I don't know. A sad song at a wedding doesn't seem like a good <laughs> idea. You've never been to a Vietnamese oh, You've been to a Vietnamese wedding. You, you know what it's like. Yeah, but like <laughs> it was very celebratory. I didn't find there to be any sad, sad moments. Yeah, I think it's, it was too Vietnamese American, perhaps. <laughs> mm. um, next time I'll invite you to a, a real hardcore Viet wedding and there will be yeah. sad songs. Not if, not if it's sad. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I want to be happy. I love weddings. Oh, no, the weddings are happy. You just, you, some people just got to sing their sad songs, you know, their ballads and their and their songs of melancholy. So mm -hmm. speaking of weddings, though, um, another thing that we both deeply enjoy is drinking a whole bottle of wine. You'd probably be not steamy, but also not cold. Probably very lukewarm about it. I think she'd probably make some joke about like, oh, people in their youth who can drink a whole bottle of wine, but also would be worried about where I was going afterwards. Hmm. My mom would probably be really cold on this one. Like whenever I go home and I have like a Heineken on ice, you know, just with the uncles, she'll be like, you're drinking beer. Mm -mm. Like, yeah. But Heineken on ice is like practically water mom. You know, so I think drinking a whole bottle of wine, she would be very cold on this one. 
Yeah, if it was my dad, it would be, he'd be like, deathly, like, you're deceased cold. But <laughs> my mom is different. All right, what's and next? The last one, um, this is something we both, on a more serious note that we both do and in our work and in our personal lives, is being in community with other women of color. Yeah, my mom would be, like, very steamy, I don't know, wildfire season in California <laughs> on this. Um, yeah, I think I've mentioned before to our listeners, like my mom is the reason that I write. She's the reason why, you know, I want to be in community with women of color and think about like storytelling and how that builds community and gives us like this collective identity together. So she's very, very proud of that part of the work that I do. And we often talk about it and she listens to this podcast and reads all of our stuff and watches all of our shows. Oh, hello, Mama Young. Thank you for being a fan and listener. (laughs) Um, That makes me so happy to hear because I don't think my mom really understands what I do. or the idea of like being in community and then the idea of like women of color, it's like a very difficult concept for me to explain to her. Maybe I'm not trying hard enough. Um, I just haven't, I don't, I don't think I've figured out the Vietnamese words for it yet. And so this question makes me think about that a little bit more. I'm actually headed back to, um, to back home next month. So maybe that's something I'll, I'll think about and then report back about if she understands what this is. But I think if she did understand what, you know, what being in community with other women of color meant, I think she'd be pretty warm on it. Yeah, um, just describe some of our events. I think they sound fun enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, cool. I think it's fun to just kind of bring our moms into this as we start to think about or as we start to go into our stories. But before then, just wanted to have a quick conversation with you on, you know, us and thinking about motherhood. So how are we feeling about kids right now? Oh, the question. The question that everybody and asks. Yes, listeners, Vina has permission to ask me this question. <laughs> Please do not ask um, individuals this question unless you have some kind of understanding um, around it. But yeah, how am I feeling about kids? I really love kids. They're great. I love being around them. I love their energy. Adults can be very draining, but I always feel super inspired and energized by kids. Um, you know, I have um, a friend who has a daughter who I think of as my niece who lives close by. And I love just like seeing her grow and develop and uh, all of that. It's just such a joy to, to watch and listen to and be part of. And so I feel very honored to be in the lives of so many different kids. And I would love that for myself. I think, you know, I think I would be a good mom. And I think I'd have really, I know I'd have really great community around me to support me on that journey and just, you know, waiting for the right partner to come along. But yeah, feeling, feeling, I guess from our game, I'm feeling steamy on kids right now. Um, And I think one of the things that's really helped me is being someone, you know, I'm 33 right now. And there's like, I'm often in conversations with women who are like, you know, I'm freezing my eggs or embryos. And I can make me feel very panicked, to be honest, um, because I'm, don't you know necessarily have all the resources to be pursuing some of those things or have someone in my life that I want to freeze embryos with or any of that and so what I've started doing is I've really like curated some of my social media to follow and watch the content of 
um, individuals who later in life, particularly, you know, women and women of color who have like met someone later in life, have had their first kid or second kid later in life, late 30s, early 40s. Remind myself, many of the women in my own family have had kids in their late 30s, early 40s. And just like watching possibility has been really important to enter into my life now. So instead of, you know, kind of listening to these stories and feeling panicked, I'm watching this content and talking to other people now and like feeling that same possibility for my own life. And that's been a really important and critical shift for myself. That's such a great idea to curate the content you want to see, because it could be really easy to get lost in the shuffle of everything and feeling that sense of urgency that everyone else around you might be. Um, yeah, I don't want to feel panicked. Like, I'm very no. proud of the things I've done. I'm really excited about what we've been doing together and, you know, the things, the creative projects I'm pursuing. And everything happens at different times for different people. And I really want to not just say that, but, you know, live that out as well. That's great. Yeah. How about you? How are you feeling about kids? Um, I think I'm feeling very lukewarm about kids. I love children like you. You know, I love being around kids. They're so much fun. I think they're hilarious. Um, I love seeing the world through their eyes. I do feel very inspired by them. I, I love being around youth and just, you know, I mean, recently we just did a, a project um, with a client in rural Pennsylvania where we got to meet just, you know, some young people who I felt like if our, if our, um, future of climate is in their hands. You know, I, I feel very confident about it. So I think that's what I love about young people is I'm just, I feel really inspired um, by them. Um, I have three nieces, um, as you know, and they are the greatest. They're so funny. My niece, Stella has, um, she's three now. So she has this, like, they're starting to build their own like personalities. So she has, um, she loves putting like salon pass on her nose. So she, my sister has to cut it up into like little strips so that she puts it on her nose like she's some sort of football player or something. But she she wears the salon pass sticker or um, yeah sticker on her nose to go to school. So it's just like you know, I love seeing them grow as people and love seeing their identities um, get shaped. But I think as far as for me, I don't know. It just, it just really seems like a lot of work that I don't know if I want to take on. Um, mm -hmm. And right now I, I really feel deep satisfaction in being more of an aunt figure to um, like an actual, like a, I guess a biological aunt to my, my nieces, but then also, you know, an aunt to my friend's kids as well. And, you know, I would love to be the aunt <laughs> to your children. So um, that's where I'm at now, but, you know, keeping the conversation open, you never know. I might change one day. And I'm also trying not to feel that, that rush or that pressure Although my mom does ask me all the time, like, she's like, oh, you really should have kids. Your kids would be so cute. They'll be so great. And I was yeah. like, well, mom, are you going to come up here and take care of them for like, with I me? know. I, I love the reasons that people give too about why you have kids. Like my favorite was um, a, like a distant relative who was like, you need to have at least one child because you need someone to take care of you when you're older because you'll be lonely. <laughs> uh, I mean, true, uh, true though. I mean, that's like one of the things I think about is like, you know, when I am older, I would love to have young people around me. But. I think there's some ways to do that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're you're right. Like, it's just like keeping the door open. Um, also, Stella's an icon. Like, I can't wait until that's a trending uh, thing for people to be doing, <laughs> putting that on their nose. So uh, I'm here for all the ways that, you know, young people are 
re-envisioning the world. And yeah, there's just something special about having a hand in that. But as you said, there are many ways to be a part of mm -hmm. children's lives and we should be celebrating and cultivating all of those ways because um, parents need support uh, and they shouldn't be, you know, isolated to only have other parent friends. And it really does take a community and a village to help, you know, kids thrive. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So yeah, if I have a kid, you can have them every Monday. Monday's a good day. I could do Mondays. Yeah. Okay. There we go. <laughs> and it's uh, now on the podcast. So I'll just no, play it back to you if you forget. <laughs> So speaking of whether or not we want to have kids, our first piece by Deepa answers all the questions a millennial is asking about whether or not she wants to have kids. I don't dislike children. I crack a smile when I see a baby in the corner of a Zoom square, somehow knowingly staring into my eyes through the screen. I spare a laugh or two when a TikTok toddler accidentally curses. I am sure having a baby is a joy and is a uniquely powerful experience to have as a human. I just don't think one of those humans should be me. The idea of motherhood has never really appealed to me. The losses have always loomed larger than the gains, at least right now, and I sometimes wonder why that is. Maybe it's my fear of commitment or fixation on perfection that makes it hard for me to imagine enjoying the prospect of navigating the inevitable messiness of a lifelong obligation to keep a small human alive and thriving. Or maybe it's because of my own relationship with my mother. Hers is a gold star model of motherhood, exceeding any and all expectations set out for a woman in the South Asian community. The one where being an immigrant mother makes it impossible to not want to give your children everything, showering them with a constant blanket of unconditional love and reassurance, where that blanket protects them from the nasty bitterness of reality, where you instill the importance of being curious, valuing people over things, and always trying your best. Where you set your work schedule around when you need to drop off and pick up your kids from school and chauffeur them to their soccer practices, violin lessons, art classes, and debate tournaments. Even if it means you never get any moments to yourself. But this model seems draining to me. And when this model of mothering is the only one you've ever known. It's what made you who you are. Compassionate, driven, reflective, honest, curious, good-humored, okay, and maybe a little bit self-important on the confidence spectrum. But when you are the kind of kid that you would want to raise, how else could you possibly even imagine approaching motherhood? My aversion to motherhood isn't just a fear of raising children wrong or losing myself or never really living up to the standard of my own mother. It's also self-awareness that that's not really a life I can see for myself. And maybe that's okay, even though society makes me feel like I will be missing out 
on something absolutely essential if I don't become a parent. That one day on my childless deathbed, I will regret not having a crowd of my descendants painstakingly watch me take my last breaths because their presence is somehow the only possible reassurance that my time on earth mattered. These messages run so deep, they are literally being reproduced in my mitochondria. But maybe it's time I break the cycle of pressure of motherhood that's forced onto so many of us in the South Asian community, embracing that the legacy I leave may feel and look different for me than having a nuclear family with kids in tow, and admitting that I reject the aspiration of parenthood. Because let's be honest, in the same way that not everyone should be a manager, not everyone should have kids. This isn't French cuisine, not everyone can cook. And for those of us who know ourselves, let's actually listen to what we know and let the people who want to parent be the parents. Deepa, thank you so much for being here with us today. Really excited to dive into your piece because sure, it really resonated and hit a lot of points for a lot of people because a lot of people think about motherhood, lots of people think about like, do I do the thing I've always been told? Do I do something else? So thank you for just laying all of that out there. And just to dive into the piece, like when did you realize, uh, like come to this self-awareness that motherhood just wasn't for you? Were there specific moments or point in time where that all sparked for you? Just reflecting, I think I kind of realized it's always, it's it's been gradual. And I think that, you know, in more recent years where more and more people kind of around me and in my peer groups have, you know, sort of started thinking about having children or getting more serious in relationships that they're in. Um, And just kind of this process, I think, of people just kind of pairing off, like, has become more and more real. I think that has been a time for me for just reflecting a lot and thinking about what I want out of my life and what makes sense for me. Um, And I think that's kind of when it sort of became more like obvious to me that it's not something that I want. And I think what I sort of realized is like, you know, up until now, there's all this messaging around us all the time, especially as women of like to want or to aspire to being a mother or like that this idea of motherhood is somehow the way to sort of be a quote unquote woman, which I could spend a lot of time talking about that word um, on its own, but just, you know, like, I, I think that it wasn't until recently that I started to really think about like what motherhood or being a parent means to me and how, or if that's something that I actually want. And I think you realize more and more, it's, it's not something that I actively want. Um, and I think meeting and, and talking with people who sort of do want it in this very active sort of way, I think has kind of made it more clear to me that maybe I'm not, it's not something for me. Yeah, Deepa, that, thanks for sharing all of that. I also just wanted to follow up, you talked about like partnering. It's like partnering something that you feel goes kind of like hand in hand with this thinking that you're doing around motherhood. I think so. And I think that, like, I think for a really long time, I had sort of convinced myself that 
I didn't really necessarily want a sort of like serious, committed, long-term relationship or like that I didn't necessarily want marriage because I think in my head, marriage is almost like the gateway to having kids. <laughs> like it's, it's like the path to that. And I think, you know, like for a very long time, especially like, you know, in my early twenties and when I was like, you know, kind of like 18, I was like, I reject that. Like marriage is silly, like blah, 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 like all of these things, you know? And I think more recently I've kind of admitted to myself, like, okay, I'm like, actually, I, I do want that. Like I do want a long-term committed partnership with someone um, to kind of live my life with. But for me, I don't think that necessarily comes with like children as like a guaranteed. And I think for a lot of people, at least that I know, um, it is. And it's like a huge motivator to get married is kind of like getting that package of like the kids and this like kind of life that's kind of sort of prescribed for you in a way. So as someone who is married, um, thinking about kids is something I've thought about a lot, um, but it's also something that people ask me all the time. And actually, it doesn't actually really bother me at all. Um, I thought it would, and I know that for a lot of couples, it does bother them. And for those folks out there who are asking people when they should have kids, perhaps you shouldn't because, you know, there's a lot of sensitivity around it. So stop asking unless you really know that person really well. Anyways, um, yeah, I kind of fell into that bucket of, you know, like, yes, I wanted that life where I'm married, I have kids, you know, I have my my suburban one-story home, my two-car garage, <laughs> all of that. Um, and I, I really thought I was on that trajectory, but I think my moment of realizing motherhood probably wasn't for me was um, when I had my first niece. Uh, I say I had my first niece, or when my my first niece came into the world. I I love my niece so much. I talk about her all the time on this podcast. Um, she's probably going to hate it when she grows up and realizes I've been talking about her. And she's like the most amazing, you know, little person. But that's when I realized that motherhood is really tough. Being a parent is just so challenging. And I know that it's rewarding. I know that it's um, some of the highest highs that you'll ever experience in life. But I think for me, that was the moment when I realized that, hey, maybe this like really isn't for me. And it's a conversation that my partner and I have all the time. We're always checking in and being like, okay, how are we feeling about kids? Are we like still, you know, 30, 70, 60, 40? What's it looking like? Um, but yeah, something that I wanted to ask you actually on that same kind of realm is I think that in having a niece for myself, there are elements of mothering that I get to experience and part, like very tiny parts of motherhood that I get to be a part of. I'm not a mother, will never claim to be as, a, as an aunt, but I'm curious on for you, are there elements of motherhood or mothering that is enticing to you? Yes. I love this question because- <laughs> I think the nuance is so important because I think like sometimes it's easy to like when you don't feel super convinced about motherhood, it kind of people sort of interpret that as like, oh, you don't like children or like you don't like mm, Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like it kind of creates this whole like idea about like what that means. And I like this question because I think like, at least for me, it's like, yes, I don't feel that motherhood is something that I'm 
probably well suited for it, like, especially right now and in the next few years of my life. But I do think there are parts of it that seem really cool. And like, kind of like you were saying, like, I think the biggest thing that's enticing about it to me is like this idea that you are sort of raising things (laughs) from (laughs) Mm -hmm. actual people who, you know, have the potential to add some good to the world. And, you know, like you're, you're sort of getting to shape a piece of society, like moving forward that, you know, and they may be able to shape society moving forward. So there's like that element of like, wow, it's really cool that parents get to kind of like raise this person into a real person that has like power and agency and influence and, you know, can have an impact on the world and like the world around them. And I think that's the piece of it that, and like, you know, maybe that like having that sort of impact on young people or on people in general, it doesn't necessarily have to be exclusively through parenting, but like, like you said, like there are definitely ways to be able to do that in other forms. But I do think there's something very unique about kind of being in charge of kind of like creating a person and kind of influencing them and guiding them and shaping them into like who they will be and giving them the tools. And it's like mentorship, but like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like on steroids. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like that you mentioned um, that there are other ways to do that because definitely when you're talking about that, I was like, oh, that sounds like my favorite part about being a teacher because I really love being able to help young lives um, learn something new and understand something differently about themselves. And, you know, I think that's the thing that hopefully people can understand more and more of is that, you know, if you want to have those kind of feelings that there are many ways that young people need people to show up in their lives, isn't just going to be their parents, you know, someone like a mentor or someone like a big brother or big sister. Uh, Do they have those attentive teachers? Do they have those other things? So, you know, really, uh, you know, I love these kind of models of parenting when you can think about like the the kind of more village approach like how is everyone working towards the good of the next generation and that they could be these amazing people and also take some of the burden off of parents for having to go at so much of this alone yeah i've actually made like a pros and cons list about having children um, with my partner and there were actually a lot more pros than i thought there would be Because at that point in our life, we're like, oh, no, children are expensive. It takes up all your time. You have to watch like Daniel Tiger and and like Doc McStuffins all the time. You know, kids don't like watching Arthur anymore. Arthur is still great. I don't know why people don't watch more Arthur. But but yeah, I was so surprised by all the pros that came out of it. And so from that list, we're like, okay, of the pros, what which of this could we get from not having kids and which of it is like, you know, you have to have kids in order to achieve these pros. And there's a lot of ways to be able to have those types of feelings and connections with young people without, um, without being a parent. So, yeah, so much of our framing is just, you know, exactly what society has told us that we should want. You should want to grow up and go to college and get married and have kids and have this house with this garage and your grass that you'll cut all the time, like in the suburb. And, you know, it's like, that's, going to be the dream of someone, but it doesn't have to be the dream of everyone. Back on the topic of, of mothers, though, um, 
would love to hear about your relationship with your mom. I mean, the way that you described her, you know, this gold star mom, anticipating your needs, providing you this unconditional love, um, shaping her schedule around yours. I'm curious, you know, has this relationship stayed the same or has it maybe developed into something different over time as you're, you're becoming a full-fledged adult? I, I liked that my story and the way that I framed it was very much focusing on all the good that I feel like my mom was able to do for me because I think that's me looking back on my childhood with, you know, fresh adult eyes, um, being able to actually understand and appreciate all that she had done for me while I was growing up. And I think what I'll say in terms of how our relationship has changed, I think the reality of it, you know, at the time when I was younger was that we didn't get along and she was really annoying to me (laughs) (laughs) of of like love and attention and care and all of, all of the things that this poor woman was doing, thinking that it was like the thing to do and it was the right way to raise me were things that just irritated me so, so much. And I think, you know, as a result, we butt heads a lot for many years um, while I was growing up and like I think in some ways like like I feel really bad for her for a lot of what you know she like had to go through being my mother Um, but I also you know like looking back it's like that is like the amount of like sacrifice and just like just her being there no matter how annoying and terrible I was you know I think just says so much and it means so much to me now that I can look back and actually be very appreciative. And I think, you know, I think our relationship definitely evolved. I think there was a point where we went from kind of being in conflict all the time to, you know, finally having a better sort of understanding of the other person's perspective. And I think that, you know, that really happened when I moved to go to college and that distance is what helped create a much healthier relationship for me and for her, I think. Um, And I think over time, like, I consider my relationship with my mom to be one of the most important relationships in my life. And I think, you know, if you asked me like 15 years ago, like, (laughs) like, what role does your mom have in your life? Like, you know, when I was angsty, I would have been like, I don't want, like, I don't envision (laughs) us being very often, you know, like, (laughs) like, I talk to her like every day, like she and I are always texting or like, we get some interesting, you know, tea to spill. Like she'll call me and be like, hey, <laughs> you know, like, that. yeah, it's, it's good. And I'm really glad, like, I think a lot of the conflict that we went through helped us get to this place of just being comfortable and, you know, having a really open and honest and communicative relationship. Um, but it wasn't, it definitely wasn't easy. Um, and I think that, you know, just, the amount of sort of like dedication that she had to, to being there for me, I think is, you know, like I said in my story, like, I think that's part of why I've had a really hard time thinking about motherhood. Cause I'm like, I don't know if I could do that for, for a, for my child, you know, like, I don't know if I have what like she had. And it's interesting um, because I think, you know, at this point in my life, I've, you know, gone to a lot of therapy, um, <laughs> as we all should. Yeah. Um, yes, <laughs> shout out for shout out for therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I think it was through therapy that a lot of the 
the relationship that I had with her, like, you know, there was a lot of work that I did in there, like for myself, but I think a lot of it too was kind of figuring out and like getting a better understanding of who my mom is as a person and not just as my mother. Mm-hmm. And I think through that, um, I think that's kind of what helped me sort of like untangle like the pieces of my life that I actually want versus not. Like that's where I kind of realized like, okay, motherhood may not be for me, but like long-term committed partnership, like, you know, like that's cool. And I think it was through having a therapist who encouraged me to have really honest conversations with my mom and not sort of project some of my interpretations or ideas of what motherhood means because of how she did it. And I think, you know, through that too, it was, I think I spent a lot of my time thinking that my mom had kind of been forced into being this type of mother or like kind of coerced into it or just like doing it, like not without really wanting to. But through those conversations, I actually, you know, she was really honest with me and she was like, no, I, I chose this, you know, like I chose to not work or like I chose to like go part time so I could be there for you guys, even though, you know, I really liked the work I was doing, you know, I chose being a more involved parent over not. And I think a lot of that helped me kind of realize that there are people who genuinely want that. And who, you know, want to be there for their kids in that way. And, you know, that's, I think it's great. I think it's really beautiful and cool. But I think that was also the moment where I realized like, oh, maybe that's not me then. <laughs> like, that's yeah. just not something that feels good to me, you know? And and I think that's okay. It's so tough though, you know, like so much of what you said, Deepa, really resonates with me. You know, I have an immigrant mom and watching her do like everything for all five kids all the time. And then also thinking, you know, like, well, she really wanted me and my sister to, you know, go to college and have these careers. I'm like, if she had been given the opportunity, would she have wanted five kids and to live this life? Um, You know, but she made choices within a confines of choices she can make. And I do believe that she very much enjoyed being a mom, but you know, she didn't work. And so every morning she made us breakfast. She was there when I got home from school. Like she was always the first line of defense for all of these things. And when you watch someone do those things and make the sacrifices, you, I feel like I've had to separate over the years, you know, my immigrant mom who had to operate in particular ways because that is what the time dictated she do so that like we could be where we are right now versus like what kind of mother, like, can I, and like, you know, in the future, like, will I be that might look differently because my circumstances might dictate something else. And I don't have to feel, you know, guilty if I'm not going to be able to do all the things that she does, because, you know, those were just different choices and different times. And so I think for myself, I'm just waiting through, you know, what are those choices for me? Because I hope that she did some of those things so that I could have a little bit more flexibility in some of the choices that I make. So yeah. Do you, do you feel that way kind of that, you know, your mom did those things so that you could have some flexibility and how you choose to do these things? Yes, absolutely. And I feel, yeah, everything you just said, I just like that resonates so much. And I think, but I think you're right. Like, I do think that like, there's no use in putting pressure on ourselves to be the way that like our mothers were, because you're right. Like, we're we're operating in you know different conditions and i think 
in a way that almost like obviously comes with its own sort of guilt and feelings and all this stuff just thinking about the sacrifices that like my mom made to be able for me to be able to be here you know in the way that I am thank you for just being honest about like that this is like an open question for you you're still on this journey and hopefully you know people listening to this can also know that it's okay to be asking these questions and thinking these things out and you can change your mind anytime you want to change your mind except maybe after the child is here but even then you could probably change your mind um you know just with the right directions uh but thanks again for being here uh today and we hope to hear more stories from you soon yeah thanks for having me next up we have jennifer who shares that mothering can sometimes come from unexpected places sisterhood when i mentioned that i have a sister to a new friend they often assume that i'm the youngest in my family I laugh, not because it's incorrect, but because I know that I express the younger sibling characteristics. A dash of naivete, late bloomerhood, an inclination to crying, obliviousness, and a self-absorbed point of view. Maybe it's because our mom told Doreen, you must take care of your older sister. She needs you. And so Doreen took care of me. Our mom loves telling the story of how I was conceived. The story goes that after three long years of trying, she arranged for a procedure with a fertility doctor to unblock her fallopian tube. But on that fateful day, she forgot about the appointment and hung out with her friend at an amusement park to enjoy American Wonder. When she returned to the doctor later, she discovered that she was pregnant with me. I was very wanted, but also turned out to be a challenging child, anxious, tearful, timid, easily prone to cry. In contrast, my sister was the opposite. Born one year, two months, two days after me, Doreen was the athletic one. The one who easily made friends, the one who proceeded down a recognizable career path, married and became a homeowner. When her mom was asked why she had two children so close in age, she answered, my firstborn needed a companion. Indeed, Doreen was my first and still my best friend. We were inseparable. In all my memories, she's always there, sharing our food or being mischievous. In the few hours that my sister and I were home alone after school, we dragged our parents' queen mattress to the stairs to ride it down like a sled. We threw spitballs up to the 25-foot ceiling and drew on the redwood cabinets with chalk. When I lost my money in my room, she paid for sour candies at Long's Drugs and tacos at Taco Bell. When I was in a bad mood at school, she bought me french fries. Doreen was fully conscious of my challenges and behaved in ways to recognize that. When playing tag with others, she slowed down so I wouldn't have to be it the entire time. When an angry old woman hit me with a cane because I was in the way on the sidewalk, she surreptitiously headbutted the woman. When a playground bully made fun of me at day camp, Doreen marched up to the girl and threw her hat into the water. Of course, I never asked for any of that, but I was thrilled every time it happened because someone noticed me. I wasn't alone. I wish I could say that I did older sisterly things like showing her how to ride a bike, about menstruation, or applying for college. But she figured that out on her own, and she wrote her college personal essay about how she helped me. Although we went our separate ways due to college and jobs, I saw a similar type of companion. 
All I wanted was to feel safe and comforted. It was not a surprise that my partner today is exactly like that. But I don't know what a person I would be without Doreen. Will loneliness have suffocated me as a child when I had trouble making friends? Would I have had more trouble expressing myself or finding confidence with peers? Doreen helped me become the person that I am today, and I could not imagine a life without her. As for Doreen, the burden surfaced when she became a mother herself. She had reflected about the mother she wanted to be, caring and loving no matter what the child was like, setting high ideals for herself. After my sister's son was born, my sister called me, worried that her son wasn't developing as expected, and that nobody believed her that something was wrong. Her friends and even her own mother told her that it was going to be fine. Insecurity crept inside me. I was still a late bloomer, unmarried, and childless. It felt silly to reiterate common strangers' advice, change the diet, set up the crib differently, get medicine. What did I know? But I did know. The cries of her infant pierced through the phone, and those cries, memories of my younger self surfaced, being hit by a cane and bullied at camp. Those memories started with tears, but they didn't end with tears because Doreen was present. So I took a deep breath and said, I'm here. You're a good mother. Thank you so much for being here, Jennifer. I remember when I first read your piece, the first draft of it, I just had a huge smile on my face the entire time. And I think what I love about your piece is that even though it was under the theme of motherhood, you chose to talk about your sister. And so your piece called Sisterhood, um, what I'm wondering is how has your relationship over the years with your sister shaped your understanding of what it means to mother someone and to be a mother? I actually just recently came back from visiting her and I saw her how she mothered her own son who is three years old and just the effort and the energy and trying to anticipate what it means to um, see someone's needs. It's knowing that it does take a lot of cognitive effort. It does take a lot of thinking, but that intuition, building those bonds so that the person who is being mother can be in a safe and trusting place. And that's what really mothering really means, being in a safe emotional place to share your thoughts and your needs. Yeah, I love that. You know, the safe, comforting places for you to be who you are and, you know, feel that safety to develop into the human being that we're going to be later. And, you know, there's so much talk in your piece about like desire and longing for safety and comfort several times. And was wondering, how does that show up for you now? And where do you currently receive those feelings of safety and comfort? That That's so interesting, because I know there's a line I have in my piece where it's not a surprise that I found a partner that's just like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you realized that recently, that even though I had been with my partner um, over 15 years, that he had always been almost acting the same way as my sister, anticipating my own needs. Mm-hmm. Um, in contrast, not eating fried foods now, he knows that if I am unhappy, I am not happy. He's like, okay, here's the piece of fruit. Here's the, the noodles. And he would do the same. And I think in, in kind of reflecting back and a lot of that, 
it's it kind of makes me somewhat um or at least the behaviors in my life that I realize that I have sought people like that and I know that's that's not always in a healthy way but it allowed me to realize like there are people who really want to provide that safety for others and do it in a very kind and empathetic way and fortunately I've been lucky to find people like that and I hope and, and it's interesting in my most um, recent visit when I saw my sister it's that when she's struggling with her own child that I am now able to provide that safety and kind of anticipate, you know, like she can't open doors because she's holding him or that um, he's getting stressed out. What does it mean? And me providing the same kind of version of safety for others, especially if I, as I am considering parenthood and motherhood for myself. Yeah, that piece about um, people anticipating your needs really resonates with me. I was recently at this nourishment retreat for Black women, and we were reflecting on our need for rest and what our relationship is with it. And I was journaling about how, you know, my relationship to asking for help, which has always been something very difficult for me. I'm not someone who likes to ask for help. And I realize that a lot of the people that are closest to me in my life are the people who just anticipate those needs that I have and will just come over and help me and do those things because it just helps me bypass the feelings that I have when I have to ask for help. I'm someone who I think has always anticipated people's needs. It's come from maybe being like the firstborn in the United States. And my family is huge. It's not just like my immediate family, but it's also my extended family. And I'm like, you know, the older sister, the oldest cousin. And I feel like, you know, to feel like I was worthy of uh, all of my family's sacrifices, I think I've always felt the need to like be valuable or to be needed. And it's like an identity that I'm really trying to get away from because it's actually brought me a lot of resentment and I keep thinking to myself, like, no one asked me to be in this role. Um, and I think, like, what's interesting is I really gravitate towards people who also anticipate others' needs because I find it so lovely when I'm not the one anticipating their needs and I'm being, like, taken care of. Um, but then also remembering that it should be something that's reciprocal. But it's, like, something that I still struggle with. It's, like, an identity that I'm trying to, like, get away from, the idea of, needing to feel needed, but then also wanting to be taken care of. So yeah, it's, just, yeah. it's like bringing that up makes me think of all of these things. It's There's like a dichotomy and the paradox with it, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think we've talked about this often and we just took our Enneagrams and reading about the whole Enneagram too. It's like, you want to provide people things all the time because that's part of like who you are and your identity. And I'm like, don't speak to me like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, just try to... Uh, break away from those things. And yeah, I agree with you. It's like, I like those people because I am someone who anticipates people's needs. And part of me is like, well, if I could do these things and it's that paying attention, you know, like I feel like I'm carefully paying attention to people and I have like a longing and a desire for people to pay that kind of attention to me as well. I think what's interesting is that I have started to realize there is joy in time in anticipating other needs at the right level, not going too far, obviously, because it can be um, it can be really stressful yeah. to be in that role. But in smaller things like 
hosting a dinner party or creating an event or um, creating a vacation together. I think it it's, it's that you see joy in the people who um, you are able to anticipate their needs. You kind of bring something together. And I, I, I guess I'm, I'm really grateful for the people who have been able to anticipate my needs, even though maybe sometimes I, when I was younger, really demanding or that I was just really sad. And I, I had trouble expressing myself. And that was kind of the core of my piece that I struggle a lot with expression, but there were people who knew what I was trying to say. Yeah. And on that vein, there's a line in your piece where you talk about never asking for the things that Doreen did, but she just did them because she noticed you and you weren't alone. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, how did those early memories of being noticed like the shape your relationship with other people? That's something that I have struggled with because she and I were are so close in age, 14 months. And so our language was just established because even when we didn't have words, we understood each other. And I think it was always in contrast to other siblings, like, why do they fight, but we don't? But I think the consequence of that is that um, I spent a lot of my younger years, especially my young adulthood what years, thinking that people could read my mind. And it did take some time through therapy. It's like, people cannot read my mind. They're not a projection of who I am. I can't blame them for the fact that they didn't know that I was hungry when I didn't even know it myself. And that I had to mention, it's like being able to ask for help. I feel like you haven't mentioned that. I still have, I still struggle with that, except with people I trust. And that even just simple things like, oh, I need another glass of water. I, <laughs> at the restaurant, it's just... I asked someone else to do it for me, um, but still always working hard to know that it's not a problem to ask for help. Other people ask for help and that that's okay. It's like you're reading parts of my journal. <laughs> I um, Whenever I think about people just asking for what they want, I think of like young children and especially my niece. I've, I've mentioned my niece on this podcast several times, um, but I really do look up to her sometimes. I remember I took her out to go shopping for, you know, first day of school outfits and we were trying a, a few different outfits and, you know, we were choosing which one she wanted. And I was like, well, which one do you like better? And she's like, well, can I just have both? And then a part of me was like, yeah, you can have both, you know, like why not? Because yes. I, I grew up with a certain like, you know, I grew up with less resources. And so everything was kind of scarce. I was afraid to use my stickers. So they would just sit and collect dust. You know, I could, I, I never wanted to ask for anything because I was worried that I would impose on someone or I would cause inconvenience or I would be seen as bad, even though like, you know, yes, I wanted that last piece of chicken that people were like, people kept pushing at me, but I said, no, 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 I'm full, like lying. Oh, um, yeah. You know, but it, that's just like kind of how I, I feel like you were kind of raised to be like, no, 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 I don't need, I don't need it, you know, unless someone actually puts it on your plate. Um, but seeing my niece and her like being like, oh, I would like this, I want this, like, I want a, a double scoop of chocolate ice cream, you know, and I, I do really admire people who can just one, accept help or accept like um, help, but also like just demand of it. And I think, you know, kids are so good at that. Um, just being like this, like if they don't like something, they will be like, I don't like it, <laughs> you know? And there's so much to learn from that sometimes. I think we find difficulty in it when it comes to ourselves. Like, you know, we've talked about 
you know, when I need to do it for other people, like I will demand the world uh, for other people be like, no, we need this, this and that. But when it comes to myself, it's, you know, it takes a much different form. And so I really loved your piece, Jennifer, like Doreen is this, this, you know, she is the little voice that says like, yeah, you do want that like last piece of chicken and make sure that you get it. And, you know, what is that? You know, do you hear her voice now when you're thinking about how to, you know, ask for help? Now that we're older and we live in separate states, it's projected more on my husband that he is the one that anticipates. He's like here without even me asking. He brings up, here's the last piece of chicken. I know that you want it, but you're not <laughs> saying so. Good, um, good partner. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he knows that even though I might say, oh, I just want half. He'll, he'll give me more like 75% of everything because even though I didn't actually ask for that. Oh, yeah. 75% is the new 50. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, you know, I, I wonder if it has something to do like with being women of color, having just a hard time asking for help and like feeling the need to be independent. I don't, but, you know, I, I always kind of grew up being like, I'm going to take care of myself. I can do everything. But over time, like in my current relationship, I love being taken care of. I love like sitting on the couch and being like, I cannot move. I am too comfortable. <laughs> can you go get me water? You know, like it's, and maybe it's something I've, I actually, I developed this by watching my older sister. Uh, my older sister demands very much of her husband and he really gives in to all of our demands. And he, um, my poor brother-in-law also has three young girls. So it's like a household of four demanding women. And I see that and I'm like, yeah, you know, like being a woman is, it's so great. It's so beautiful, but we struggle a lot with a lot of things. So if someone else can make our lives easier, why not? And so by watching my sister just really taking hold and like owning the, like, I need help. You need to do this and that. I kind of saw that as like role modeling and, I've started adapting that and it's it's really nice to be taken care of and to demand things of our of our partners. Yeah, I think of it as like a as as like a expanding, you know, there's a contracting and expanding and in women of color and I think growing up there's a lot of contracting that we're asked to do that makes us like not ask for help. It's like take up as little space as possible, do all the things that you can for yourself and make sure that like no one sees any like weakness cuz like, you know, vulnerability as weakness was, you know, such a thing that we're told. And, and it's so beautiful to see so many women of color as we, you know, come into ourselves and, and get older. And hopefully we're seeing it with younger and younger ages, expand and take up the space and, you know, less even of like a, a demanding, but more of like, we're, we're just expanding ourselves so that we can be and do all the things that we want to do, get the things that we deserve and, you know, stop being in these little quiet corners where we feel like we have to do everything for ourselves. I could see the younger younger generation just really learning how to not only express what they need, but also respect other people's boundaries, express their emotions, really identify that. But um, at least for me growing up, it's even though my sister was taking care of me, I, I learned through watching my parents and others that we had this there were some rules, unspoken rules that we were supposed to behave, like what we mentioned before around not to take up space. And especially being Asian, it's it's knowing that we are not supposed to be seen, be a little bit more, be the model minority. And so 
those kind of like ingrained behaviors meant that I didn't ask for help. I I felt a little bit more trapped. But then then I would ask the people around me to do things for me or try to I hope that people could take care of me in the same way. And it's interesting too, my husband is very different from me. He asks for help all the time, but he's also Asian, but he got in trouble where all the time for doing that. Whereas I just didn't do anything and that sometimes is a a challenge because the biggest regret is that I didn't do something or say something. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely a journey. You know, I think um, we can only improve and we can only learn from our mistakes. And I really think that's the beauty of it, of forgiving ourselves for what we didn't or did do in the past and seeing how we can channel those, um, those pieces of ourselves forward. And Odelia, I really love what you said about like, not so much demanding, but expanding. And I love that. I love the idea of expansion. So I'd love to ask you both, how do you see yourselves expanding and taking up space and asking for what you need um, going forward? It's all about knowing first yourself and knowing what your goals are and knowing who the people are that you trust in your life. So you might not have a big list of people, but knowing that there are those three people that you can rely on to ask for help, that you don't, you aren't afraid of being embarrassed or feeling ashamed for asking for what you need or for your help or for support, and that they can help you reach your own goals and knowing where your boundaries are. For me, my expansion happens the more I practice saying no. It, it seems like very like opposite, but the more I say no to things and, and set boundaries and protect the space that I want around taking care of myself, like I see myself expanding more and more because I have time to do all these wonderful things like my writing and this podcast and other things that we're building together more and more instead of feeling tired because like when I think of a you know, a very constricted, contracted version of me. She's just in the corner scurrying around doing a bunch of things for, for everyone else. And I still really love doing things for other people, but it has to be in relation to doing things for myself as well. So I'm expanding as I say no to more things and set boundaries with people and watch new relationships form. How about you? Um, I think for me, expansion means ridding a layer of guilt and shame over various things. Um, in 2021, I made a list of all the things I felt guilty for I needed to let go of. And that list like spanned like 20-ish years, like two decades of things mm -hmm. I did when I was like a child even. Yeah, removing that layer from who I used to be and then removing that layer for who I want to be. I think would be something that would help me expand a little bit. I think there needs to be some clearing of that. And it's something I'm actively working towards. Um, I'm not taking it lightly, um, but it's really hard. Like, how do you get rid of feelings of like so many years of like um, shame and guilt, you know, put on upon you? And some of it, you know, I could blame society for it, but a lot of it is also, I recognize that it could be some societal pressures, but a lot of it is self-imposed. And so- I want to like give myself some agency as well to recognize that I too can can remove it if I recognize it, see it, and like know why I put it on myself. Yeah, I mean, who we can be is infinite, but True. all the things True. that we can hold 
at one time is finite. So we have to clear some things to make room for new things. So I love that you're doing that. Well, Jennifer, this has been a really great time with you. What are some last thoughts that you have around, you know, just coming full circle, you know, at the end of the piece, you're providing your sister with comfort for her worries. So how does it feel to come full circle and now being able to provide care and comfort for her? It's knowing that for her, her own son, my nephew, is kind of was like me when I was younger. Didn't really speak, didn't really say stuff, just cried a lot. Um, and that to me is that I still want to be part of that because I understand. And so she remembers, I remember we connect over what that means to be a parent, a mother, knowing that we have, we're both women, uh, women of color. What does that mean in our own family? And, and how, if I ever become a mother, how, what does that mean for myself? Knowing that there are people out there who can't, who struggle. Um, and I am more accepting of the fact that I can also mother too. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, thank you for being here. I think that's a beautiful note to sit and meditate on. Yes. Wish you the very best in your journey. And thank you. Yeah, I hope you know you're so <laughs> I hope you have a wonderful relationship with your nephew as well. I love being an auntie. It's the best thing in the world. <laughs> I really love what Jennifer says and really talks about in her piece about this shifting relationship with her sister. And she talks about it in a way that doesn't seem bad or scary, but just natural that as we're in relationship with people, our relationship with them changes. And you know, I'm starting to think about my own change in relationship with my mom. And, you know, she didn't work when I grew up. So she was there when I woke up in the morning. She was the first person I saw when I came home from school. So she really was this like huge figure in my life, like all growing up, like really shaped who I am, you know, so many of the things that I pursued, it's because it's things that she loved to do that then I started loving to do myself. But, you know, I left home at 18. I went to college. I haven't lived in Indiana again since I was a teenager. And so that has shifted my relationship with my mom. Now, things that were like, came home from school, let me tell you all about it, is sometimes a scheduled phone call or a call on a walk. So they're like shorter snippets in time. And so I think sometimes as I change, as I get older, I think sometimes my mom now sees those as these like big changes that have happened to me, even though they're more like steady changes because I don't see her as often. I don't get to fly home except maybe twice a year. Um, you know, I, I try and call, but like sometimes a week will just get away from me and, you know, it'll be like a 20 minute phone call on a Sunday or a Saturday. So, so I've seen really like shift in our relationship over the years is just like, she doesn't really get a front row seat into my growth and development the way that she did for so many years as I was growing up. And I would love to figure out like how to give her a bit of that seat more. And some of it's just going to be going home more and some of it's going to be picking up the phone more and actually talking her through some of the things that I'm thinking about. Because right now I just like update her on things going on in my life. And I'd like to see and try a little bit more of also like explaining how I'm feeling and what things are shifting in my life. How about you? Yeah. What's how, what you've seen change? Hmm. I think my relationship with my mom is probably better now than it ever was, um, which I think is really, 
I'm, I feel really happy about that um, because I think I grew up having a certain kind of, well, I used to say that I didn't have a bad relationship with my mom because we didn't really have a relationship. But over the years, I think it's gotten a lot better thanks to, you know, just uh, going to therapy, <laughs> huge advocate. Shout um, out to therapy. Yes, yes. Um, and I think it, it's, I, when my mom, uh, my mom is in remission right now from breast cancer. And, you know, when I was going through that process with her, it made me really cherish the moments a little bit more. It's pretty daunting and terrifying when, you know, your doctor um, or her doctor um, told me that, you know, maybe she had, I think, like, um, like a 20% chance of surviving five, like past five years. And so when you find that somewhat abruptly, it's a really terrifying fact that your, you know, your mom might not be there. And so um, ever since that moment, I really took some time to just examine our relationship with one another. I really thought through what it is I want um, our relationship to be like. And in doing that examination and spending that time with her, going to chemo, going with her to the doctor, helping her navigate the healthcare system and all of that. Um, it made me realize that I didn't, like what I wanted was I wanted to spend time with her. I wanted to um, get to know her. I wanted her to get to know me and understand a little bit about my life. Um, and so I actually like made a list of things that I wanted um, to do with my mom and to tackle that together. And and yeah, I, I think, you know, I started to look to her more as a friend than a mother. Um, I think I've gotten, I had to make peace with the idea that maybe I can't expect certain things from her that I had expected before um, because, you know, I don't, I'm not the, I'm not a child anymore that needs her mother. Um, and I'm not sure my mom was would want to give that to me at this point in my life. And so, yeah, I'm just looking for, you know, um, a way for us to connect, to have fun together and to spend time together in a way that feels good for the both of us. So if that means, you know, going, waking up early in the morning to go to temple with her, that's what I'll do. You know, we'll go to the swap meet together to find fabric so she can so this cushion for me, you know, so things like that, just finding ways for us to, to connect. So my relationship with her, um, I think is, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting better over time as I become maybe a more understanding, open and, um, yeah, more understanding and open as a person and more willing to let our relationship be something different than what I expect a mother daughter relationship to be like. Yeah, my therapist is always talking about that, whether it's, you know, with my mom um, as relationship shift, um, you know, we have differences and like probably how she thought my life would be now, how my life is and all of that. And just sometimes we just have to really sit down and say like, you know, I want to have this kind of relationship with this person and not saying these certain things or not doing these certain things are going to help me have that relationship. And, you know, we can always 
tell ourselves the things that we'd like to hear if we're not going to hear it from someone or do the things um, that we want to do if someone isn't going to do it with us. And just letting go of those kind of expectations allows us to bring in the beauty that someone can bring into our life when we let go of some of those expectations. So, you know, I've gotten to witness some of those shifts in relationships with your mom as we've, uh, you know, done work together and been in a relationship together as friends. And it's been really like I've don't think I've ever expressed that to you, but like been really inspired by what you've been able to do there and like, you know, how I can look at some of the relationships in my life the same way. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, and I, I think I'm fortunate too, to, you know, I've had a lot of mothers in my life and I'm sure you have too. So I feel fortunate in that regard that um, mothers and mothering are are different and they don't have to be the same. So, yeah. What's one trait you would like to embody more from your mom? Um, my mom has amazing resilience and persistence. She's such a tough lady. I mean, like her going through, like, you know, her, she found out she had stage four cancer, like, but she was optimistic the entire time. Like she was like, I'm going to be fine. Meanwhile, you know, I'm on WebMD talking to doctors, like all this stuff, like looking at the internet, looking at survival rates and things like that. But my mom was like, you don't need to worry. I'm going to be completely fine. And she was just, I, her spirit was just, you know, really um, lifting her and keeping her through. She was making friends while we were doing chemo treatments. Whenever I came with her, like everyone, you know, smiled and greeted her whenever she came in. It was like, it was like a party whenever she was there. And um, the doctor would have to come in and like shush us sometimes. Mm-hmm. So my mom is just like amazing in terms of being able to bounce back from a lot of hardship. I used to be surprised how she was able to smile and laugh despite all the horrible things that have happened to her in her life. Meanwhile, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm a delicate flower that <laughs> if you say like, you know, someone hurts my feelings, I was like, oh, I'm so sad. Like, <laughs> you know, lay on my couch and like nurse myself back to, to, um, to happiness or something. So I, that's one trait I, I really admire about her. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Just like being able to say, you know, life's going to throw things at me and I'm just going to keep barreling through. I think, uh, my mom's faith is very similar. Um, you know, faith is really important to me, but I'd love to embody that even more of just like everything, you know, what's for me will find me, you know, like, just like put my faith in God. And, you know, he's going to give me the things that I need and really guide me and just, you know, always be praying for that wisdom and and praying for God's will in my life more than my own will. And I feel like oftentimes I'm just like, God, I'd like this thing Um, instead of like, you know, like, you hearing me? Like, are we seeing eye to eye instead of, you know, like, you've, you've given me this skill, this energy, like, let me see what you want me to do with it. And I think that just, that would help me hold things a little less tightly that I feel like I want and be willing to let go of those things that don't serve me anymore if I did that. And, you know, I definitely see her do that in her life. And yeah, and just the deep, deep sense of like, you know, doing anything for your family and just really knowing like people knowing that you're in their corner, like no one ever doubts that my mom's in their corner. Oh, and I'm so grateful to your mom. I've 
I've heard so much about her and I feel like I get to know her through you and through her teachings based on what you share. I mean, our tagline of creating yourself to freedom is from your mom. So I feel like her, her spirit, her energy is always with us in the work that we do. And so, yeah. yeah. And I think about that too, in terms of I'm just like, oh, if I'm doing something, I was like, oh, I don't know if my mom would want me to, to do that. Or, you know, if that's not where she'd want me to be. I always remind myself, I was like, no, like she's the reason why I have such strong will and vision. Uh, and even when it might be something different than her own vision, she's probably still happy deep down that like I have this strong sense of self and independence. Oh, well, bravo to all the mothers in the world out there. <laughs> Thank you for all you do. And to all the people who, you know, you may not be labeled as a mother, but for all the mothering and support that you all do. We appreciate you. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's all support them. Thank you for listening to TN Transitions, brewing good stories down to the very last drop. 